I'll try and be fairly brief this morning. So I know it's a couple days before Christmas and some of y'all got some last minute shopping to do. And, you know, because I have last minute shopping to do. I figured I wasn't in the same boat. But good morning. Uh, I'm Morgan Putman. I'm in a great mood this morning. Partially because it's two days before Christmas and I'm a fan of Christmas time. But more so because I'm finally finished with college. If y'all know me, some of you know me well, I know how much of a struggle college was for me. Not because it was hard or anything, because not to brag on myself, I feel like I'm highly intelligent. College was pretty easy. It's just, <laughs> in general, I'm pretty apathetic. And that played itself out more so in my life with school than it does anything else that I've ever done. And so to finally be finished, everyone asked me, like, how does it feel to be done with school? You don't have to go back to school. I just feel relief. Like there was a a huge gorilla hanging on my back. And I walked across the stage and finally threw that jump off of me. And now, now I'm here, able to preach for you, and that brings me all the more joy. But I'm Morgan. Like I said, I serve on Vintage uh, Leadership Team. And a lot of what I do is behind the scenes, so I just do a lot of stuff on computer, a lot of stuff in meetings and and messaging and things like that. But every so often I get to preach. Whenever we have a sermon series, I get to preach at least once during that series. And it always brings me great joy because you can tell by my size I played football growing up and I was pretty good. And I had this feeling whenever I was playing football that it was like game day was always special. Like I played football for years and years and years. But no matter how long I played football, no matter how long I, no matter how many times I did the same thing on those Friday nights, those Saturday mornings, those Thursday nights, it would always, I would always have the same feeling, the same butterflies, not because of nervousness or anything, but just more so I was eager to get out there and to do what I love doing. And this morning, as I was looking over my sermon one last time, I got those same butterflies in my stomach. Not because I'm nervous or anything, because I speak in front of people all the time. I had many presentations in college, had to preach a million sermons here. So speaking in front of people is nothing for me. But that excitement that I had for all those years from the time I was eight up until through high school when I, played, when I stopped playing football, that excitement that I had before every game was here this morning in me. And so now I'm excited to be able to, to preach the Word of God to you, to be able to to see what do the scriptures say. And so when we were planning this Advent series, I had to work around my school schedule again, but that was the last time that I had because I'm finally done. And so now here I am preaching to you the last sermon in our series. When we started, I always thought, like when Blake mentioned Advent, it came to my mind, I was like, oh, it's Advent again. I've never been the biggest fan of Advent because it was kind of it was kind of mean, meaningless to me to be to celebrate for so long something that's not mandated in scripture but as the years went on and as i talked with Blake and Stephen and Bryce about advent and about the coming of Jesus i realized that 
the part that I love to celebrate about the life of Jesus is the death and the resurrection. But without a birth, there is no death and resurrection. And so Blake stressed to me many, on many occasions that it's important to celebrate Advent season, even if it's with Christmas songs that I don't necessarily love all that much. But every year when we get to sing those songs, I always crack on Blake. But Lord knows I'm just playing because I love hearing those those slow, awful, great Christmas songs. <laughs> but, yeah, so it wasn't until the last few years that I recognized the importance of Advent and recognized that we have to, set, we have, to have a starting point with something. We have to have a starting point for the life of Jesus. Every story has a starting point. You can't just watch Hitch and get to the, the great part on the boat where Kevin James starts choking Will Smith without there being a starting point of Kevin James and Will Smith sitting on the stairs spilling coke on his pants. And so for the past few weeks, we've been examining different perspectives on the incarnation of Jesus. Blake introduced the series to us. Uh, he preached on the perspectives of uh, the perspective of Isaiah, which he did a great job, hit a home run. He talked about the names mentioned in the prophecy, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and Emmanuel. And then Stephen preached the following week on Joseph's perspective, talked about Joseph's family, Joseph's character, how he dealt with such a difficult situation. And then Bryce last week preached on the incarnation from Herod's perspective and how he rejected the power of God. He said, those who reject the power, or those who reject God fear his power, those who reject God want his power, and those who reject God cannot receive his power. And if you miss any of those sermons, I highly recommend you go check them out on VintageDeSoto.com or you can listen on your podcast app because those men always do a great job of preaching and expositing the text. They always do a great job of encouraging us and making much of Jesus through every passage that is preached. And I'm hoping to do the same this morning by preaching on the perspective of the shepherds. The ones who God appeared, or the ones who the angel appeared to, that God chose to point to them, uh, to point them to the birth of Jesus. And so why would we, why would we look at this? And where am I going with this today? So oftentimes in society, we view the low the, we neglect them, the orphan, the widow, the poor, the homeless, anyone who isn't in a great high up place, we often neglect and we often, we often misrepresent, we often underutilize them. Yet we see all throughout scripture, that's exactly the type of people God chooses to use on many occasions. Time and time again, we see God using the low and the regular the regular people in order to accomplish the great things. And this passage that we're going to look at today is no different. In this passage, we're going to see how and why God chose to reveal himself to a group of dudes nobody really cared about. And so I know Tony just read the passage we are going to go through again, but I want to read it again. So turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8.
Luke chapter 2, verse 8 says this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring good news to you, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, in, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the, the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen and had been told to them. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for using, Lord, Lord me to, to preach your word. And God, I pray that as we examine this text, that you will speak through me, and God, that you will be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I said there's three questions I want us to walk through together based on this passage. And number one question, the number one question, or the first question I want us to examine is this. Who were the shepherds? Who were the shepherds? So basically, the shepherds were just a group of dudes doing their job. They were working the night shift, watching their flock, doing a very dangerous job. One commentator noted that often shepherds had to encounter the attacks of wild beasts, you know, some smaller animals, and occasionally they had to deal with some of the larger species, such as lions and panthers and bears. In 1 Samuel, we see an example of this. In 1 Samuel 17, 34 and 35, says, But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him and killed him. I'm not saying all the shepherds were as great and as bad as David. I'm not gonna say all the shepherds were out here snatching lions by the manes and and killing them in order to protect the flock, but there certainly were some who were doing this. They often they had to deal with robbers and people trying to steal their flock. 
people trying to steal sheep out of their flock. And on top of that, they were viewed in society very poorly. They were at the bottom of the social ladder, were viewed as uneducated, unskilled. They were a despised class of people. They couldn't testify in court. And the only people lower than the shepherds were the lepers. And they also couldn't follow the strict religious laws that were placed upon them by the Pharisees because their flocks needed to be dealt with seven days a week. And so they weren't able to to take a day off in order to get the Sabbath rest that they that was needed and that was laid out in Scripture and exploited by the scribes and religious leaders. So they couldn't deal with the 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 religious and legalistic regulations, and so they were viewed as unclean. They're viewed as unholy and always in violation of the religious laws. They're viewed as outcasts. And one of the things me and Blake talked about whenever I was assigned my my topic, talked about God using these marginalized people and these outcasts. And as soon as he said the word outcast, my mind immediately went to two dudes out of Atlanta. And so I promised myself I wouldn't I wouldn't get up here and create a whole sixteen bar verse with wordplay from this passage in the way that the outcasts would. So you won't get any roses or sorry Miss Jacksons or I like the way you moves. As even though I really, really thought about it long and hard. But one characteristic I want us to look at on the shepherds during this time is that they were nurturing. These shepherds, they were nurturing people. Because we see them counting sheep in another passage in Jeremiah 33, 12 to 13. It says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, In this place that is waste without man or beast, and in all of its cities there shall again be habitations of shepherds resting their flocks. In the cities of the hill country, in the cities of Shephela, and in the cities of Negev, in the land of Benjamin, the places about Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, flocks again shall pass under the hands of the one who counts them, says the Lord. We see them nurturing them by, we see them carrying the sheep in Isaiah 40, verse 11. It says, he will tend to his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his, bos- in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And then we see another example, another, another example of how they're nurturing in John 10, verse 1. And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So we see them creating a safe, a safe home for the sheep, a sheepfold for the sheep. So we see that they're these dudes who are outcasts. They're not very highly thought of by society, yet they're, generally speaking, very kind and good and nurturing regular people who do work that, that isn't very rewarding based on societal standards. So we see the type of people they are and how they're viewed in society. But we still need to figure out why God chose them. 
So we need to figure out why God chose them because most people in any point in history would not use people like this in order to do something so great. They would go for the great leaders, the people who are highly thought of by society. They would go, to, they would go towards the, the wise, the kings, and all these people who have the resources and the abilities to do these great things. Yet, we see that God chose shepherds. So many times, God chooses to appear to or reveal himself to those who are low in society. For example, for this series, we took a break from our series in Exodus, but Exodus is one of the first places, one of the best examples of places we can go to see God using someone low in order to accomplish great things. Because God took Moses. Moses was a shepherd. Exodus 3, we see that Moses was doing his shepherd work when God appeared to him in the burning bush. We also see David, another great example. David was a shepherd. When God called David, he was also out doing shepherd work. Both of these men were out doing their lowly duties as shepherds whenever God had called them and decided to use them. Just like this group of men, they were doing their lowly shepherd duties when God revealed himself to them and made known such a great thing like the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Even throughout the New Testament, the language of shepherd is still being used. We see elders are called shepherds. They're called the shepherd. In 1 Peter verse, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, it says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow, fellow elder and the witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, that is Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Jesus himself called himself the shepherd, not only the shepherd, but the shepherd and the lamb. We see in John 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lay down, lays down his life for the sheep. And also in John 1, verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming, uh, verse 129, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. And one of my favorite passages, Psalm 23, verses 1 to 3 say this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteous, in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So we see many examples of some of the greatest people God has used. They have the same occupation as these low shepherds. Even later in 1 Corinthians Paul, Paul makes mention of the way God uses people in order to accomplish these things. He makes mention of how God chooses what is foolish, low, weak, and despised in order to use, in order to use them to do these great things. 
Like I said earlier, God could have used anybody. He could have used any one of the kings. He could have used any one of the great military leaders. He could have used any of the scribes or any other people who were considered wise. But it's common practice for God to go against the grain like this. Like I said, Paul notes in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 29, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of you, not many of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring nothing, things that are, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. So it's totally within God's MO to use the low, the humble, the meek, the weak. Any number of adjectives you want to use for people who are not these great, large figures, God chooses to use them, and he chooses to use them in a way that brings glory to himself. He chooses the humble to bring glory to himself in a way that wouldn't be likely with someone who was proud. Bit of a side sermon before we get into our next point. I want to look at the message that the angels revealed to the shepherds. It says, look at verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born in this day, in the city, on this day, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So we can learn a lot from how the angels presented this message. We see how they encouraged, the angel encouraged the shepherds. We can see that the angel delivered the good news to the shepherds, the shepherds. And then we see them rejoicing. So we have a message that is from God. When you have a text that you're presenting on, encourage the people that you're sharing with. Deliver the good news, the message, and then rejoice with them. That leads me to the second question that I want to examine with you, that I want to walk through with you. So we saw who were the shepherds, or we asked who were the shepherds. We answered that, and now when I ask the question, what was the message? What was the message that the angels were presenting to the people? Well, off rip, we can see in verse 10 that it was a message for all people. It was a message for all the people. Now, up until this point, Israel, practically speaking, was the only nation that was kind of able to receive salvation because they were God's chosen people. They were the only people who were 
who were counted among those that God would save. But now, with the arrival of Jesus, salvation is open to the whole world. We see later in Luke 2, 29 to 32, that there's a holy man who had the Holy Spirit blessed upon him named Simeon, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And once he laid eyes upon Jesus, he said this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, when my eyes have seen your salvation, that they have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. Salvation is now open to all. And if that text isn't enough, we can flip over to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. And it says this, He's a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So now salvation is open to the whole world. Anyone can repent and believe and trust in Jesus now. It is no longer an exclusive thing that is for Jewish people. It is no longer an exclusive grace for Israel. The birth of Jesus marks the beginning of God's plan for salvation, or the beginning of the most important part. Let me rephrase that. The beginning of the most important part of God's plan for salvation. That is Jesus. So at the birth of Jesus, the climax, the movie's just not getting good. So we saw all the things. We saw everything that was going on in the Old Testament. We saw everything that was going on, the way Israel was, was moving and was acting and how basically they were wilding out. But now, now we see the beginning of the best part. Back to my hitch reference. Now we see Will Smith and Kevin James in the office dancing. It's just right here. You don't need no pizza. They got food there. Now we see the best part is just now beginning. So these are sub point B under point two. It's a message of good news. Look at verse 10 and 11. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news, plain as day. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's a message of great joy. It's like one of my favorite Christmas songs to hate on, but I secretly love. Joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Earth has received her king. The king is here. It's a message of salvation. Like I said in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The birth of Jesus, like I said, means that the most important part of God's plan for his people has arrived. While this isn't the completion of his plan, you see that completion at the resurrection. It marks the beginning. So what's spoken about in Isaiah 53 can finally happen. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we have seen him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ, our sacrifice, is here. The contents 
of Jeremiah 31 can finally happen. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that day broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this day, for in this covenant, for this is the covenant, sorry, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Christ, our covenant, is here. Christ, our forgiveness, is here. And what's spoken about in Ezekiel chapter 34 is finally brought to life. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, God himself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among the sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out of the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on mountains, on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. Christ, our shepherd, is here. And so with that, we answered the first two questions. And now I want to fairly quickly look at the last question. What was their response? What was their response? Two responses I want to look at here. First, let's dive into the response of the angels. Let's look at the response of the angels. Turn to uh, verse 13 and 14. Saturday delivered a message. Picks up in 13. It says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, on, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Thousands of angels appeared. Thousands of angels appeared at the mention at the revelation of the birth of Jesus to these small farmers, this group of farmers who are out just doing their regular, not farmers, shepherds, sorry, these shepherds who are out doing their shepherd duty. In the night, it's dark, yet light has shone on this group of shepherds because these angels, they're here and they're praising God. It makes sense for the angels to respond this way, mainly because the shepherds, their main job is to praise God. It's one of the main things that they do is they always praise God. But also I want to note, this is just kind of something that was cooking in my own head, one of the reasons why I can see that they responded this way. Because if you look at later in Luke chapter 15, verse 7, it says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who needs no repentance. And then a few verses down from there in verse 10, it says, Just so I tell you, this is Jesus speaking again, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner 
who repents. The main reason Jesus came was to bring sinners to repentance. So I feel like it's safe to assume, I feel like I'm right in assuming that they are overjoyed at the future glory that God is going to get by the work that this baby that Sydney Swallowing Claus in the manger is going to do. Another side note, not necessarily a side sermon, just a side note. They praise God saying, peace among those with whom he is pleased. I wonder who God is pleased with. Almost like God answers his own questions. We see in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. And behold, a voice from heaven. This is at the baptism of Jesus. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my son. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Makes all the sense in the world how excited they were that Jesus was born. Think of the future glory that God is going to get. Think of the future praise that the angels are going to sing after the work of this sweet baby Jesus is done. Jesus came to save. The angels rejoice greatly when one sinner repents and is saved. Many are going to repent and believe because of Jesus. So why wouldn't they praise? Why wouldn't they get excited? So we peep the angel's response, and now let's look at the shepherd's response. Look at verses 15 through 20. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known that they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So we see the shepherd's response, I want to look at two more sub-points, sub-sub-points, I guess, under the shepherd's response, and then we'll close. We see that the shepherds responded in action. As soon as the angels left, they said, let us go see this great thing that has been told to us. John MacArthur said, they responded in the order of salvation. They heard the angels came down and showed them what was going on. They believed. As soon as the angels left, you could see their belief when they said, let us go and see these things that have been revealed to us. And then they went to Jesus. And so they came to see what the angel had revealed to them. They came to see this Jesus. We see their action and how they encouraged Mary and Joseph. They said they shared their testimony. They shared what had been revealed to them. And Mary, while many were wondering what they were saying, 
Mary treasured it and stored it in her heart and pondered on it. I've mentioned this idea in past sermons that your testimony is important, not because it's necessarily important to you, but because it's important to others and the encouragement that they can bring them in the Lord. Oftentimes I say your testimony isn't about you at all. It's God's story that he created for you. What the angels saw wasn't about them at all. It was God's story of what Jesus was going to do through them. It was God using, it was God giving them a piece of his glory, allowing them to see the magnitude of what had happened. And them sharing that with Mary and with Joseph encouraged Mary and Joseph. Then we see their second response. They responded in praise. They responded in praise. Look at verse 20. This is after they leave. It says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. After they went, after they took action, after they encouraged, after they encouraged Mary and Joseph, they went back to their duties. But they continued worshiping and praising and glorifying God. This reminds me of if any of you grew up in church or went to spend time in any youth group, you would know that camps and mission trips were all, all the big hoorah. During that week of those two weeks, you would spend time focusing on Jesus. You would be away from your normal duties. You would be away from your normal responsibilities. And during the close of every camp I ever went to, whoever was in charge of the group I was with would always say, let's not lose this momentum. When you go home, tell your parents. When you go home, tell your friends. When you go back to school, tell your friends at school. And what would always happen is that they'd go on for one day, two days. If he was nice with it, maybe even three. But by that third day, most of the time, that fire was gone. You would get back into your regular routine. You'd get back into your regular duties, your regular responsibilities. But be like these low shepherds. Go back to your regular responsibilities. Go back to your regular duties. But praise and glorify God in all that you are doing. Praise and glorify God in the regular. If a group of men can find a way to praise God while watching sheep, you can find a way to praise God in anything that you do. These are the appropriate responses for any believer once God shows them something, whether it be through text, by text I mean in Scripture, or whether it be through, or whether it be through conversing with someone and edifying conversation and a conversation that's building you up spiritually. These are always appropriate responses to take action, to do what God has commanded you to do, and then to praise God and glorify him in those things. I want to close with another passage. I'll never apologize for putting too many passages in the sermon because if all else fails, what do the scriptures say? Here's what it says. Matthew 28, 
verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, Magdalene and the other, the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. There's that encouragement. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. In both the birth of Jesus and in the resurrection of Jesus, God chooses to first make himself known to those whose society doesn't view as high and mighty people. 